Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Cynthia Hyatt is a Christian psychotherapist specializing in trauma therapy, couples, relationships, and personal development. She is passionate about your life and is here to encourage, teach, and inspire you to be your own best version. Find her online at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Now, with today's fresh insights, Cynthia Hyatt. Well, hello and welcome to the show. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host, and this is called Conversations with Cynthia. And we are talking about so many different things on this show. It's uh, hopefully encouraging, educational, inspirational, motivating. And, and I really want you to be able to take these concepts deep in your heart and walk them out in your life. So always remember, you can listen to them on the website. And those are always available. We also have blogs uh, that, that kind of correspond with the shows. There's music. There's um, the ability to, to order the books as well. And so this, and, and if you certainly need a keynote speaker for any of your organizations or spiritual events, I love to do that. You can have me do one of the shows that you heard if you like those topics, or you can, I can tailor make them uh, for whatever it is that your organization needs. So, all that being said, this week we are talking about kinder, gentler relationships. And I don't know about you, but wow, I see out in the world, I see it in my practice uh, television, movies, we, we, we got, we're, we're getting pretty hard and pretty harsh in the way we relate to people and, and pretty emotionally violent in, in many, many ways. So I want to introduce this idea of a kinder, gentler relationship. And the reason for that being, you really are going to be a better version of yourself and you'll get a better version of others. And you will enjoy them much better and they will actually do what God intended for relationships to do, and that is to be strengthening and to be life-giving. So I want to start with this verse in Luke chapter 6, verse 35. This is out of the Message Bible, and it says, I tell you, love your enemies. Help and give without expecting a return. You'll never, I promise, regret it. Live out this God-created identity the way our Father lives toward us, generously and graciously, even when we're at our worst. Our Father is kind. You be kind. We need a kinder, gentler world, don't we? And so many times we think that if I'm kind and gentle, I'll be taken advantage of. And what I say to people is, well, you can be taken advantage of anyways. Whether you're nice or mean or snotty or harsh or, or a jerk or kind, if someone's going to try to take advantage of you, that's their free will. But more often than not, if you practice this other way, it will happen less often. Because a lot of being taken advantage of, right, is, is how, how well we are practicing boundaries and how confident we are in our ability to say no. That is a whole nother show in and of itself. We've talked about the power of no. So kinder, gentler world. And that kinder, gentler relationship starts with me, starts with you. I teach people how to treat me. You teach people how to treat you. And so for the most part, 
there will always be those who are going to act just the way they want without con- and without conscience. But I teach others how to treat me primarily by the way I treat myself and by the way I treat them. And I get the best version out of most people because of how I talk to myself and how I talk to them. So we're going to focus first on the quote-unquote inner world and how it then affects our outer world. Because generally what, what we all as humans want to do, we want to fix the outer world so we feel good inside. Instead of recognizing that concept, you know, everywhere I go, there I am. So if I'm okay inside, everywhere I go, I'll be relatively okay. If I'm always trying to control the outside world to make my inside world feel good, I end up being dependent on the outside world and circumstances. And I'm also more likely to be a victim to the outside world and circumstances. So we're going to also discuss and learn word and way. This concept is very important. That is the words we use and the way we use them. So we're going to jump in. Regarding this internal world that we live in, and you know how much we have talked about this concept that words can change your brain, and we talked last week about that when it came to the power of words. And, and the most current neuroscientific research reports that holding a positive and optimistic thought in your mind stimulates frontal lobe activity. This area includes specific language centers that connect directly to what we call the motor cortex, and that's responsible for moving you into action. So I know that kind of was a lot to to take in, so I'm going to say it again. The research shows that if we hold positive and optimistic thoughts in our mind, it stimulates the frontal lobe activity. This is the language center, and it's connected directly to the motor, motor cortex which is responsible for moving you into action. So when I think positive thoughts, positive words towards you, I feel compelled to act positively, kindly towards you. And it also shows that the longer you concentrate on positive words, the more you begin to affect other areas of your brain, such as the parietal lobe that starts to change. This is where you This is where perception is involved, how you perceive yourself, how you perceive others. The more positively I am thinking toward myself, and I'm not saying self-aggrandizing thoughts, I'm I'm talking about truth-based thoughts, the way that God feels about me, if I think on that more often, then I automatically change my perception of myself and the world around me, and I see others more positively. Whereas a negative self-image will incline me to more suspicion and doubt. And the more I act that way toward people, the more on guard and defensive they become with me. So over time, the structure of your thalamus also changes in, in response to those conscious words and thoughts and feelings. And what happens is the thalamic changes affect the way in which we perceive our greater reality. So you can see now, scientifically, we are proving why God has talked so much in the Bible about words and the power of words and why he says the word became flesh. So I'll give you an example. In one of these studies, it said if you repetitiously focus on the word peace, either saying it out loud or silently, 
you will begin to experience a sense of peacefulness in yourself and in others. And the thalamus then responds to that, that incoming message of peace, and starts to relay that information to the rest of your brain. The rest of your brain starts calming down. So pleasure chemicals like dopamine start to be released. And this is the reward system of our brain. It gets stimulated. Anxieties and doubts begin to fade away. And your entire body relaxes. Now, when you practice this over a period of time, your sense of compassion will grow. And in fact, the most recent studies show that this kind of exercises increases the thickness of your neocortex and shrinks the size of the amygdala. Okay, this is very important information. The thickness of the neocortex, that becomes thicker, which means more resilience. And your amygdala, which is that that guy we've got on the right side of our brain we talk about all the time that is constantly sending us into fight, flight, or freeze, survival mode, sending all that adrenaline and causing a lot of arguing, fighting, and violence many times. And so the size of the amygdala shrinks. So this is quite an amazing behavior. What we're finding is that positive thoughts and feelings and outcomes many times are more powerful than any drug in the world especially when it comes to changing old habits and behaviors. Now, I, I want you to understand, as a psychotherapist, I am not against anti-anxiety medications when they are needed. When you have an overactive amygdala, you can think as much as you want, and it's probably not going to calm down just by your thoughts. But when we do appropriate psychotropic medications, and we work on a whole different way of thinking, we retrain the brain. So... What we know for sure is that relationships are unavoidable. And God has created us as social and relational creatures, and we cannot deny our design. So we're going to relate to our world on a daily basis. The difference is if we relate with intimacy or connectedness, if our relationships are positive or negative. But it's up to us to determine whether or not to put the effort into creating a positive relational dynamic with any given individual. This can be any stranger to your most intimate relationships. Unhealthy and unsuccessful relationships really can be avoided, but not without effort on our part. See, I can only do my side of the relationship. I can't do both sides. I'm limited to only my side of the street. And you see the power that Christ had and at the same time, there were people that were not going to be changed. They were not going to buy into it. They couldn't see it. His own family in Nazareth refused to recognize who he was, no matter what he did. But he didn't stop being who he was simply because they didn't get him. He didn't change and become like them because of how poorly they were treating him. So when, when relationships aren't working well, we get really hurt, we tend to shut down, and we want to say we're done with relationships altogether. But since we know that relationships are unavoidable, what we're really saying is that we want to avoid intimacy. So what's the difference between relating and intimacy? There is this basic human need to know someone and to be known by someone. That is intimacy. To be known and to know someone. Now, there are different levels within intimacy, of course, and the deepest hurts usually happen 
when someone who you thought knew you turns out to not have known you at all. Or the inverse. We really thought we knew someone only to find out we didn't know them at all. So sometimes we mistake relating with intimacy. Or I might have to deal with and manage the fact that someone doesn't really want to quote unquote know me. So when, when Webster's Dictionary defines relate, it means to connect, as in thought or meaning, to have a connection or relation to. So we can have, we can relate to our family, but not really have a lot of intimacy. And so intimate is defined as most private or personal. It's very close, very familiar, deep, very thorough. So these are vastly different experiences. What we would like, for the most part, is if we're having a relationship with someone that we're ch uh, of choice, we're hoping that we can have intimacy as well. So the most meaningful and healing relationships must have intimacy. So the way we relate directly affects how intimate the relationship can be. So in my practice, I work at dispelling these myths that people create for themselves by saying they are done with relationship, they're not going to do them in the future. And the choice is not whether to have a relationship, but whether to have a positive, intimate relationship with others. If you don't put the work into it, if you don't take the risk of developing positive, intimate relationships, you will be left with negative relationships that are void of intimacy. So the question is, will I choose to relate positive with intimacy or will I attempt to avoid relating altogether only to get negative relationships that are void of intimacy? So what is your relationship like with yourself? How do you relate to you? How do you talk to you? What are the words you choose as you talk to yourself? What is the, quote, way in which you talk to you? See, the way we talk to ourselves involves the way we think and how our thoughts become real is what the same neuro neuroscientist studied and found to be extremely powerful. See, there are many languages of the brain. And the need for a kinder, gentler relationship in order to decrease the survival mechanism. So this idea of relating versus intimacy. People have relationships with their cars, right? We have relationships, we feel like we have these relationships with people that we watch on television or that we see in the movies, we never met them, but we feel quite close to them. We feel like we know them, right? This is just the human condition. So we can have relationship and relate to many people without ever really knowing them or being known by them. So what makes human communication so unique? Because we have example after example of creatures that communicate at extremely high levels of functioning. Ants, for example, have this amazing way of, of relating. They have about 10,000 neurons, which is only one millionth of the number in the human brain. And yet they coordinate social activity more effectively than any society in the world. And as a group, they're more peaceful. And when attacked, they are far more efficient at waging war. They understand their societal rules, and they can be very creative when it comes to building and maintaining their communities. So compared to communication strategies of ants, 
human communicational abilities often pale. However, do ants actually have intimacy? Is there a deep emotional connection? So what makes human communication unique? It's, it's not just the quality of our speech or the quantity. Because we use tens of thousands of facial expressions, body movements, and words that we combine them in an endless combination that allow us to express very different nuances of meaning and emotion. See, even the simple alteration of the rate and rhythm of speech can change the context of what we say and the way it will be processed by the listener's brain. This is why we say word and way. What words do I choose? What way am I, am I doing those words, expressing those words? Because words can be incendiary, inciting, have many implications. They create context. They can be very insightful, helpful, comforting, informing. But the way, this means my tone, my rate, my rhythm, volume, inflection, the amount of words, and my facial expressions, my body language. So just as you're listening to my voice right now, I can say the same words in a different quote-unquote way, which directly affects your experience. I can say the sun is bright. Now, the statement has no real verbal consequence, but what happens with the statement? For example, if I say, I need to talk to you, or I need to talk to you, or I need to talk to you, and this, or the way we say, I love you. These are very different ways. So recognizing how these statements affect me externally helps me understand the power of my own inner speak and how I affect myself internally. See, the first way to create kinder relationships with others is to develop this within myself. Remember, we say this on this show. If you don't do the internal work, the external won't work. That means if I don't do my internal world, my external world is not going to work either. So this is very powerful when we are talking about this idea of the brain and that walnut-shaped structure called the thalamus that relays all that sensory information about the outside world into all the other parts of the brain. Because when we imagine something, this information is sent to the thalamus. And that thalamus treats those thoughts and fantasies in the same way it processes sounds and tastes and images and touch. It doesn't distinguish between the inner and outer realities. Thus, if you think you are safe, the rest of your brain assumes you are safe. But if you ruminate on imaginary fears or self-doubt, guilt, or shame, your brain presumes that there may be real threat in the outside world or that everything you're doing is wrong. So this is why we want to talk about words. Our language-based thoughts shape our consciousness. And our consciousness shapes the reality we perceive. So choose your words wisely because they become as real as the ground on which you stand. So when we are doing relationships, I have to be very disciplined as to how I think about that other person. 
What do I allow myself to say about that other person in my own mind? How do, what do I allow myself to entertain in my own mind where nobody else is other than God? I'm all by myself in my own mind. What am I saying? What words am I choosing? How am I describing you? What assumptions am I making about you or judgments am I making about you? What have I already determined about you before I ever met you? What have I heard about you? And do I believe what I heard even though I've never met you? Because that becomes as substantive as the ground I'm standing on. And I will then act automatically on the thoughts. We know, we talked last week about, for as a man thinketh within, so he is. So I need to choose kindness and gentleness toward myself, first and foremost, because that's where it starts. So that doesn't mean like I, I'm having this um, remarkable admiration society for Cynthia. It means I want to be truthful with myself, and I want to be careful I don't talk to myself in a way that would hurt God's feelings, because God loves me. And God practices the love chapter with me every day. He's patient. He's kind. He's merciful. He thinks the best things about me. It's amazing to me. And so he wants me to be Christ to me. And that way, I'm much better able to be Christ to you. And Jesus changed the world one person at a time. You have a sphere of influence that you are responsible for. So you want to be very careful how you think, what words you choose, the way you say them. And it first begins with you. Because God lives in you. And then God gave me this strange uh, analogy a couple of years ago. When he really revealed to me, you know, we all have an inner child. And, you know, when he said, you know, and I many times would complain to God about my internal world and say, oh, I don't want to live inside here. I want to get out. You know, and, and he said to me, he goes, he goes, but I live in there. And I was like, oh, what would it be like if, if God was sitting in the couch of my home? What would that be like? How hospitable am I to him and to, and to myself? How pleasant is the environment in my own internal home? So I want you to think about that, and we're going to talk more tomorrow about this idea of what is your internal home like, and is there peace, is there love, is there grace, or is there anger, abuse, arguing, accusing, neglect, condemnation, abandonment? That's what we're talking about tomorrow, your internal home as a way to have those kinder, gentler relationships. So I'm glad that you were able to join me today again. Make sure you join me tomorrow when we talk about this idea of your internal home. And would you want to invite someone else to live there in it with you? This is Cynthia High with Conversations with Cynthia. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Join me tomorrow. Make sure you check out the website at CynthiaHyatt.com.
To hear today's program again or to share it with someone else, please go online, CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T dot com. Conversations with Cynthia is heard daily at 3 p.m. and 12 noon every Sunday on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. Follow Cynthia on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Cynthia Hyatt. Until next time, remember, be your own best version. Yeah.